Welcome to episode one of the Zero to 100 podcast. My first ever guest is a good friend of mine, football and former basketball coach, Darcy Springhall. Darcy has coached Australian rules football at almost every level, from grassroots to rep to league, and is now steaming ahead with his local women's program, with which he has had tremendous success. He's a teacher as well, and his passion for educating and his natural ability to lead shines through as we discuss his own personal sporting journey, his endeavours with women's football, and his love for teaching. Thanks for tuning in. Darcy, welcome to the Zero to 100 podcast. Thank you, Samuel. Uh, thanks for joining me on my very first uh, episode. It's much appreciated. Um, so I guess just to give a little bit of background information, uh, obviously, you know, you've You've coached a lot, um, you know, football, basketball, um, played at an SAFL level back in the day as a junior, um, also a bit of a runner back in the day, which uh, you ran a runner sub 25k at yes. 17 or something like that, so that's yep. pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Seems um, like a lifetime ago. Yeah. yeah it takes, <laughs> certainly takes a lot of work to, uh, to get there, so it's uh, something to be pretty, pretty proud of. Um, so I guess just to um, to go back to the start, uh, so playing footy as a junior, um, you know, just talk us through what it was like sort of going from, I guess, playing at a, at a country level with your mates and that to then sort of taking that jump into, you know, playing at a, at a state level, or, you know, state league, SANFL level, just like the, the coaching, the game style, training regimes, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, so it was um, yeah, certainly a, a lot different. You go from um, being, you know, almost a, a big fish in a small pond and uh, everyone knowing you and being a, a major cog in the, in the machine at, um, at your home club to um, I did a full pre-season, a couple of pre-seasons and got injured and, um, and was lured back, back home to play um, rather than persisting um, down in town. Um, but went down for a few games and it was certainly hard to sort of forge, um, I guess, a, a career or an identity down there um, after missing pre-season and, and most of the season with injury. Um, yeah, certainly a lot different, a lot more professional and, and even things like a, a warm-up where, you know, at, at home you could get ready in half an hour and you're having a, a joke and still very serious and mind on the job but down there you were out on the oval an hour before and um, yeah it just seemed to go forever yeah it was really really sort of up in the ante and putting, in, putting a lot of work to to get guys sort of game ready and that sort of thing and I guess everything just takes that next that next step up and and um, and becomes you know that, that next level of professionalism and yeah it just seemed that everything was sort of um almost yeah amplified um yeah which sort of yeah took me a, a month or so to get my head around yeah yeah so how about um sort of like in terms of like relations with coaches and things like that is it is it um i mean i guess that depends on an individual coach as such but was it like um you know did you find they, they put more time into you as a player or was it more sort of game focused or what was the sort of the focus around training and that sort of thing um i was um pretty lucky um i only had to train um once a week um just due to work and um sort of them needing 
my position down there filled. Um, so I was sort of recruited mid-season to go down there. Um, and the country guys would train at um, a venue and the city boys would train together, um, which kind of allowed me to train with, you know, just the country guys. And there was sort of that, um, you know, divide. Like I never really got to, to meet or necessarily um, gel with any of the, the metro um, kind of guys because I wasn't seeing them at training um, as I'd only train once a week. So, you know, if you had your time again, you'd certainly um, stick at it and, um, yeah, probably try a bit harder to get down there. But at the end of the day, um, my local side was was undefeated and um, it was a pretty good chance we were going to win the flag. And um, that sort of was where I wanted to be in the end. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess in terms of commitment, they were, they were quite flexible in, in, in terms of sort of getting you um, just just on the field, sort of playing, doing what they could to sort of support. Yeah, that sort of yeah. Thing. So um, yeah, very accommodating for for myself. Um, yeah, just being that I I could um, train with the the same team back home um, during the week as well, um, and yeah, I had a really good relationship with the coach down there at the time and he was the main reason that I, I did give it a go otherwise um, I probably wouldn't have yeah. yeah so how valuable do you think it is to have a, a good relationship between players and coaches oh it's massive if, if you're not um, fully buying into it um, into what the coaches is telling you um, and you don't get along or you um, yeah you're not you're not treated or, or made to feel like you're valued it, it's very very hard to to go through something like that, you know, driving out to, to Gawler to play at two o'clock on the Saturday um, was just crazy. And, um, yeah, certainly having a coach that you respected and, and wanted to play for, um, you know, we were on a very successful side. We would get kicked off the park most weeks and it was, yeah, it made it worthwhile knowing that the coach had your back and um, you had his. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess moving forward now, you've, you've coached probably the better part of 10 years now, I guess. Yeah. Um, football, basketball, um, various sort of sort of levels um, from amateur all the way through to sort of state stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, de- a decade is a <laughs> fair old chunk of time. What sort of, what are the biggest kind of changes you see in, in football um, at that sort of, uh, that state level as opposed to when you're playing now to when you're, when you're sort of coaching? Um, well, the first big thing is, is age groups. So the SANFL have aligned um, to a more national structure with under-16s and under-18s, which I think is a good thing. Um, and certainly um, a lot of the rules have changed as well. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. So I don't like too much change, but... Some of the new rules that are coming in, I can see what they're trying to create. Um, and I guess as coaches, it's up, up to us to work out how we can benefit from it the most. So it's always up for review and it's always changing. Yeah, for sure. Um, certainly the game has evolved so much. You know, you just see it year by year, the, the way it just changes and and, um, and coaches just seem to be constantly having to adjust and evolve to... Um, to suit the, the modern game. Um, you know, do you, do you feel like that is a, is a big 
pressure point for a coach or do you feel like the that the, the players suffer more or not suffer but do you feel who, who feels yeah. it the most yeah um, absolutely like if if you're a coach and you are not um, well to put it simply if the days of the coach just ranting raving and asking players to you know play for the the jumper to just give all give their all for their teammates is gone yeah. you actually need to be very structured um, particularly in football um, and you need to um, not worry about trying to control the effort and energy of players that's that's their job to rock up with that um, that already um, in check but you need to, to tell them where they need to be and, and really give them the X and the O's um, and it's, it's about being really structured really organised and actually yeah, letting the players know where they need to be, why they need to be there, and when they need to be there. That certainly um, all needs to be done at training. You can't just put it up on the whiteboard before the game and say, here we go. Um, particularly with girls, it needs to be done um, during the week and, and for a long period of time yeah. before it's, um, yeah, it can work. Yeah. So do you find, um, like looking at a player, I mean, I know... There are certain positions that um, that will always be key positions, and but do you find you know, say you know you can you can just slot a, a half forward into the back pocket, and, and that seems to just you know is it more based around structure now, or, or are you um, sort of playing to players' strengths, or, or what's the um, you, you certainly um, start to realise if a player is a I guess a, a ball winner or a ball receiver, um, and those those winners you can have on the inside in those type contests. Um, for those receiver type players, you, you put them out half forward wing type positions because that's where they can receive the ball in space. Um, you try and, and identify the, the good athletes, so the those that possess a bit of X factor in speed and kicking ability. Um, I mean, in, in girls' footy especially, um, left footers I'm finding and, and good left footers will just have the ball um, in a lot of space because everyone's still trying to work out or go to the same um, direction and everyone assumes that they're just right footers, um, whereas boys will sort of have a bit more intel on opposition and, and that kind of stuff and yeah. it's not as advantageous. Um, yeah, but you certainly in, in any age group and any level uh, identify those that can be in, in high running positions and those that need to be a bit closer to, to home in terms of the goal line uh, just because they don't have those running capabilities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there's still a lot of um, lot of skill, you know, I mean, a good a good defender is always going to be a good defender. Yeah, it's gonna, yeah. You, you know, need them to be quite innate disciplined. Quality. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's the biggest thing, just making sure that they're disciplined and they don't mind sacrificing for themselves. Um, I spend a lot of time forward and back, and um, I would say being a defender is a lot more, uh, it's a lot scarier down there and it's a bit more nerve-wracking. Um, but having said that, it's, it's a whole lot easier to read the ball and um, coaches just love defenders so yeah being a forward's a bit tough at times you're yeah. very dependent on the ball coming into you to have an impact yeah, yeah. so uh, you're on the, on the receiving end of a few few sprays <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah absolutely and yeah. very temperamental and 
hot-headed at times I was, so yeah, they were warranted. That's right, that's good. Um, so in terms of like recruiting, I mean, I know you're obviously heavily involved in the women's um, football now, um, which is great, that's, that's booming, it's really taken off, mm. um, and uh, especially the, the work that you've done with your local club and everything has been sort of um, outstanding and really um, just moving leaps and bounds, but in terms of like a recruiting sort of process, has that changed much over the years or is it still very kind of grassroots? Um, you know, is there a lot of talk between sort of clubs and, and coaches and things like that? Yeah, so the the big thing that clubs will ask for and, and will look at when selecting um, a senior coach at their club is who can you bring? Um, you know, a really good coach is only as good as their their players um so there's a lot of coaches that i wouldn't consider great coaches that have won multiple premierships and and all of that and there's a lot of really really good coaches that are are coaching teams at the bottom of the ladder just because a club may not be financially able to um offer players um what they want these days so in the past it was very um you know, I know a guy who, when he coached, he got given a lawnmower um, back in the 80s and um, still uses it today. But it's, yeah, just so different than, you know, I think on average, you know, a lot of country coaches will be getting, you know, up um, up north of $15,000 um, to, to coach an A-grade side and, um, and a budget um, to, to recruit players. But there's certainly a lot of things that are put in place to stop teams from just recruiting everyone with the point system. So players are allocated a certain amount of points depending on where they've played previously. Um, salary cap restrictions, which while hard to, to manage, um, is, is really hard to, to um, manage as well. So um, a lot of things in place, but recruiting is, um, is half the battle. You need to really make sure that as a club, you're developing your juniors really well mm. and uh, yeah, doing the right thing because they need to, to make up that sort of 75 to 80% of your side if you're going to be successful. Yeah, sure. Nothing really beats the um, you know, having quality coming through and, and having those players you know, yeah, grow up and play together. And homegrown talent, yeah. Nothing really quite beats that. What about in terms of um, sort of going up to like an SAFL level? Um, sort of what's the recruitment sort of process like there? Is it... Again, is it, is it that same sort of grassroots? Who you know, what you know, what can you bring, sort of thing, or is it, you know, is there is there a more structured sort of um, you know piercing kind of process involved? Or? Yeah, so um, it's similar to I guess your local club kids will go through the the junior programs and the junior age groups at a Sandville club, and um, with the ultimate aim, I guess, from the club of playing senior footy. Um, I guess it, it comes down to how successful your junior grades are. If you're not having much success and there's not much talent coming through, um, you need to source those players from elsewhere. So, um, you know, if you're a top 10 player on an SANFL list, in terms of, of money, um, you're going to be very well looked after and just about wouldn't have to work. Um, and... Those, those guys are recruited from all over. So ex-AFL players or guys that have been in junior programs before have gone back and played senior footy um, and are 
you know, at the top of their game and ready to come back and give it a crack. Um, they're given opportunities. Um, and, yeah, certainly guys from interstate, so the um, Western Australia, Victoria, Queensland, they um, often will come to South Australia for that, yeah, SANFL opportunity in a really strong league. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In terms of, um, like, conditioning and things like that, um, you know, do you feel that has um, really evolved over the years or do you, do you think it's always been a strong sort of uh, focus on, you know, getting players game ready, you know, for round one, you know, get them on the track and, you know, in, in match fitness? Do you, do you think it's a big focus on that still? Uh, definitely. Like, even in, in the junior grades at SNFL level and the girls, um, there's actual strength and conditioning coaches um, which is great, and and what they do if they're not full time at the club, they'll actually um, be you know university students studying that and getting some work experience up, which is really exciting. Um, other than that, it it quite often at local um, level falls to the coach, uh, unless they they may know someone that comes in for a session here or there or one of the players may have a background or someone at the club has a background in personal training or something like that. Those kind of things fall to the the coach to ensure that, you know, players are up to scratch in terms of their fitness. Um, but it's something that I, I feel there's a real market for, um, people potentially doing that, that strength and conditioning programs at, at clubs. Um yeah, definitely. I, obviously, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in, um, in you know, uh, just getting, if, it, if it's nothing else, just having general sort of physical preparation, just having players just, just ready to compete and, and being in a position where, you know, they can take the knocks and bumps and their, you know, their, their you know, joints and, 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 um, and ligaments and things can take those, those hits and the, the demands of the game. And really, like, at, at any level, I mean, the demands of the game don't change, do they? I mean, no, they not... Not at all. If you're, you know, an amateur or, or a professional player, you know, you're still having to perform the same exact same movements. So yeah, and those always be that focus. Those warm up and I guess the cool down is something that at country level gets forgotten about at times. Um, players will ice bath and, and all that, but it's certainly a uh, a beer after the game as opposed to you know making sure that you're getting the right stuff into your body and cooling down, having some good food. Um, stretching down and yeah those kind of things yeah sure but having said that you know that's that's their life and that's what they you know they need to be up and running because they train three or four times a week as opposed to you can get through you know limping until Tuesday and then be ready to go up training yeah yeah definitely I guess with the women's game um, sort of leading from the, the strength stuff you know I know we're seeing like a lot more ACL injuries and um, which is obviously associated with just uh, most of that will come down to basic anatomy and really just the, the structure between men and women. But so, what do you think the the biggest difference is um, in terms of the way you go about coaching with girls and boys? I mean, obviously, you know, each group will, will respond to different different stimulus. Um, yeah. What do you think the the biggest biggest change or biggest difference is between those two groups? Yeah, I think um, you know coming from a um, a pretty serious coaching background in in both um, boys and girls sports. Um, the biggest thing for me is you know girls can can lose a game, a close game, um, 
and you know the immediate disappointments there but then they're kind of over it whereas you know me as a coach I'll hang on to it for a week or a month and um, you know the the boys they'll be really flat um, after a poor performance Um, and I think girls are just a bit more um, all right yep we lost Uh, let's let's get on to the next one yeah Um, I think girls are just so appreciative of what they're getting um, you know in terms of um, feedback and, and they don't know any necessarily any different so you know like my local girls football team I've been their only coach so you know they might think I'm the best or the worst coach they've ever had but I maybe I'm their only coach a lot of them have ever had yeah so it's it's up to the person that you know in the future does it after me or um, if they they're playing at a higher level or a lower level or somewhere like that um, you know what they are going to, to be like um, in the future so yeah, it's girls I find are really um, are sponges um, and, that, and they come in with an open mind and are willing to do a lot of things. Whereas I think boys, they sort of have a bit more ego attached to their, um, yeah, in their roles and, and I've done this and I've done that. Whereas girls are, are happy to be coached by a good coach in a good um, environment and, and that comfort and happiness and enjoyment in their football is a lot more positive. Like if a boy's on X amount of dollars at a club, even if he doesn't like it there, he'll, he'll rock up every week and give it his all. Um, whereas girls, they're not getting any money, so they need to feel valued, they need to feel included, they need to be uh, comfortable and happy in that environment. Yeah, sure, totally. And um, just in my very limited experience with, with um, girls, what we can see the difference, the way they just just absorb everything you tell them and yeah absolutely you're really, really dialed in they're really focused whereas boys you know to, of course there are some that really take things on board but obviously you know the the testosterone or something is playing up and they're just yeah. Yeah, yeah it all goes out the window yeah. as soon as they step out you can get hated yeah yeah so you, you're working a lot with, with the women's footy now um, you've done a lot with, with boys what was the biggest draw card for getting into into the women's side of footy and really sort of getting it up and running and, and pushing it forward? Um, I, I really wanted to get into the, um, uh, the school state program um, coaching football um, when I was over in uh, living in Canberra and um, halfway through that process um, we, we moved back to um, South Australia and uh, the, there was a position available with the under-15 girls team and I sort of just um, jumped at it um, without knowing too much about it or not having really been involved in too much girls football and, and found I really enjoyed that side of things and as a teacher as well, being able to teach people that were wanting to listen um, and it was a really good environment and really good group to work with and um I guess when I came back um, home after the trip and wanted to give that opportunity and experience to, to the girls in Strath and um, yeah, really it just started from there and had some good people to, to work with in, in setting it up and um, you know now we have over 100 girls in, um, in our town playing football and um, their own league, three grades for, and uh, another training team sort of for the little ones and yeah it's amazing yeah that's really good 
did you find that they were the club was really receptive and, and welcoming of the program and getting it on board and off yeah, the ground? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, early stages it was um, probably tough because no one really knew what to do or how to go about it all. Um, but, you know, build it and they will come. It was sort mm-hmm. of a, a great um, spectacle to see 50-odd girls running around at a come and try night, um, even if it was wet and cold. And, um, you know, now the female memberships make up 30 35% of the, the club's total memberships um, for registered players, which is just fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's really incredible. Um, yeah, it's, like, fantastic. Like, and really, like, in the space of all of, like, six months or something, you had... Just about three teams. Yeah, ready, yeah. Ready to play on the park. Like so that. from yeah, they come and try in October to, um, I think it was March or April um, when they started playing games. You know, we had three teams filled, which was yeah um, amazing, and three really strong teams as well. And seeing some of those girls develop now and into playing um, at higher levels, state level, SANFL, women's level, and winning women's best and fairest and premierships. It's just been an yeah, incredible journey to watch, and hopefully one day uh, we'll have some girls playing AFLW. Yeah, it's been, it's been really successful um, from a viewing perspective, obviously. But yeah, um, so in terms of just to delve a little bit deeper into the women's sort of side of things, it, it's still a relatively new game. Mm. Um, how do you feel it can it can evolve over the years? I mean, it, it, look me looking at it, I, I see it as a totally different game to the men's. Like, it has the potential to be just like a whole new, whole new creature in yeah. way and just become its, its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it will probably go down the same path as the men in terms of, you know, having an SANFL, uh, an elite AFL program, an SANFL and, and yeah, um, state leagues and, you know, probably even a reserves one day I, I can see happening. But the big thing that I see that needs to happen is, there's a, a real difference between girls that are wanting to play just for fun and fitness and girls that are playing to uh, be the best and to gain opportunities at higher levels. So, you know, something could be done and um, I think there could be some, you know, even just nine-a-side competitions for, for girls that are just wanting to have fun and not playing for points but just, you know, getting out there and, and having a go at it as opposed to, you know, paying um, subs and getting all the, the merchandise and then realising, oh, this is a bit serious for me sort of thing, which, um, yeah, is really hard to juggle as a coach for a sort of a new team. So how do you find, um, I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, how do you find it is, like, motivating the young girls to, to when you see potential in them, you know, how do you how do you nurture that and, and sort of keep pushing it forward to, to strive for something bigger and better, if you know what I mean? I think those naturally talented girls are just willing to give anything a go. Um, and a lot of the girls that are excelling um, in junior levels at SANFL are girls that have excelled at netball or basketball or soccer or, you know, uh, cricket, even um, other sports. So they're naturally sporty. They get you know, what it's like to be in a team environment and, you know, they, they, they want to be the best that they can be. So it's really easy um, for those younger ones. The harder the harder thing is when you get a girl new to the sport at, you know, 23, 24, yeah. and you're trying to tell them that they are very, very good at this <laughs> and they sort of, 
oh, no, I'm, I'm not. Um, and you can see that potential. Yes, they haven't picked it up from an early age, but they've still got enough potential that they could probably go down and, and make an SNFL side. Um, yeah, that, that's the hard thing. And they're working flat out or they're at uni. Um, so it's, it's harder to get those kind of girls motivated than it is the younger ones. Yeah, totally, totally. I think um, what you sort of still see a little bit too with the younger girls is, is everyone's still trying to do everything as a you know when you're in high school you know, yeah you want to you want to be part of every every sporting group so you want to play every sport and and maybe you know that's that's great probably when you're younger and developing motor skills and you know your coordination and things like that but I guess you know you get to an age where you really need to start to specialise and and you know really be more specific with what you're doing you know, in terms of your training and. And just, just in terms of putting time into into something. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, what you always find, those multi-talented kids um, with a, a finger in every pie will, you know, eventually have to choose a pathway. Um, probably more forced into the change for the boys. Girls can still be elite across, a, you know, Aaron, look at Erin Phillips and yeah. how elite she is across, you know, a number of codes. And I'm sure if she picked up a cricket bat or a tennis racket should be fantastic at that as well. Um, and, you know, with the girls, with there not being essentially enough money to just do one, uh, a lot of these girls are playing a sport and then playing in, in the top leagues for another sport, which is, yeah, really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you've had a little bit of success so far as a, as a women's coach. Yeah. Um, can you give us a bit of an insight into sort of what it, what it kind of takes to, as from a coaching perspective, you know, what it takes to motivate a team to get them over the line? I know you're a big fan of the, the three from the point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's a powerful thing. I've seen it firsthand. But what, yeah. what, what strategies, you know, do you implement, you know, you know, when the game's on the line, the big games, what, what does it take? Um, my sort of thing is, you know, don't ask the girls um, to do anything that you haven't, like entrusted or instilled in them to do. Like I wouldn't, um, I spend a lot of time during the year at training and during games, making sure that our girls are versatile. If something's not working, I know what girls I can change um, into different positions and have this impact. So I do a lot of that kind of stuff. And I guess for me, planning for every, um, I guess, little hiccup that could happen in a game. If this person gets injured, then who's going to play this position? If this person um, is is off her game, where can I put her to get her back into the game? If uh, I do a lot of study on the opposition and, and know who we need to shut down and how we need to do it and who's going to do it. Um, but, but certainly um, I really like to challenge, like as you said with that three-finger point, that that challenge um, certain individuals and um, and they're the girls that, that require that. Some girls will just need that, that bit of praise and, hey, you're doing a good job. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if the girls can do their job, win, lose or draw, you know, it's, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, but it's yeah, certainly a lot better when you're winning. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's certain players that you'll just grab aside um, after the huddle and say, hey, all right, we need to go here. Yeah. Um, and, and you can give them that kind of direct feedback and they just look at you and, and nod and smile and, and um, you know, you just know that what you're going to get from them. Yeah. Um, and other girls, you need to just 
speak generally about an issue that's happening out on the field and uh, you just catch their eye and while you're not talking to them directly, they know that you are talking to them directly um, and they sort of, yeah, uh, give you a bit of a, ooh, yeah, he knows. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to get too um, animated and that, but it's hard sometimes I sort of bring myself up to their level and, and be at an energy that I need to be them at, um, them to be at. Uh, you know, it's it's hard on the old ticker and it's um, it's a long game on the bench at times and you sort of just lose yourself in it all. But, you know, at the end of the day, the reward's there um, yeah. and you, you take it. Yeah, for sure. So always sort of forward thinking, always thinking yeah. about contingency plans, what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, if something's not working, let's not, oh, maybe the next one will work. It's about being really proactive yeah. and let's bring her into the game rather than, oh, she'll get the next one. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So always, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess you kind of, you, you know coaches, you know, within certain circles and you, I guess you sort of understand how they approach the game. <clears throat> Are you sort of planning for that as well or is it purely yeah. talent or? Um, you know, you, you look at the coaches that rotate heavily um, off the bench and uh, coaches that will, um, that don't make changes during games. So I'll always try and throw a, a little curveball in here or there to make them reactive um, as opposed to being um, proactive. Mm-hmm. And I like to just um, not play with them, but I like to just make them think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, last year, for instance, we probably weren't going to win playing the same game style that we had during the year. And a couple of weeks before the finals, we changed our whole game style just to, to beat the one team that we hadn't beaten. Um, and, you know, the result was there, but it was just about coming in with a different mindset and understanding that, hey, this thing that we, we do every week may not be the best way to beat this particular side. Let's change it. Um, yeah. I'm not too proud or too stubborn to admit that, um, you know, some things that I do need to probably be different. So it was a really good learning curve. It was a lot of... A lot of effort and work to change a whole game style when girls have only ever played one, and, and that's how they knew to play it. Yeah. But it was yeah really rewarding, and now we have the the beauty and the um, the option to go between both depending mm-hmm. on who we're playing and how the game's going. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Okay, so it's been roughly what ten years now since finished school. Mm. Um, Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> certainly does. Even when you're not having fun, it seems to fly by. <laughs> so um, <laughs> But um, so you're you're a teacher. Yeah. Um, so you just you just seem to be really drawn to, to things. You know, just giving giving back to 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 people. Um, you know, what was it that drew you to becoming a teacher? Uh, definitely the money. Um, <laughs> No, just kidding. Um, the 12-week holidays, uh, <laughs> all, the, all the fun things. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is. I just love to teach things and I love to um, help people and uh, I don't know. I just get a buzz of, of walking down the corridors or through the schoolyard high-fiving kids and um, just acknowledging them and, you know, maybe putting a smile on their face because every kid's different and not everyone, I guess, is is lucky enough to have um, 
whether it's two parents, any parents, amazing parents, um, you know, food in their lunchbox and that kind of thing. So I, I definitely try and, and go in with a, a mindset of, you know, how can I make this kid's day? How can I be a good role model? How can I be someone that um, they can look up to? And how can I be someone that can make school enjoyable um, but yet so enriching and, you know, so f- heavily focused on learning um, but, but really enjoyable at the same time. Um, you know, I love having kids in my class that in the past haven't really liked coming to school or um, because I can make learning fun in different ways. It's, it's really hard to explain but, you know, I like... Um, I'll sing. I'll sing the role in the morning, or I'll um, we'll learn greetings in a different language each morning for a week, and um, let the kids choose it. And, and then we're t- all of a sudden we're talking, you know, in a different language and putting it on Google for that five minutes in the morning, rather than right. Let's get straight into into the day. It's that five minutes when they come in to just you know settle them down and 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 I think making teaching more human. Um, I know when I was younger and you'd see a teacher, you know, out in public and it was just like the weirdest thing. You're like, you know, don't they just live at school? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I really try and make it so that, um, you know, I, I want to see kids out of school. Like I'd love to see them down at the shops or, you know, at footy on the weekend. It's, it's really cool. And, um, I'll go and, I'll go and catch some of their games and, um, yeah, it's just great to, to see them as, as you know yep students but as as humans um and, and they see me as as uh, a teacher and as a human as well yeah sure yeah um it's a sense of reward isn't it like that that you're giving something back and like i know uh, even just you know with the limited sort of coaching experience i've had but when you have those kids who sort of like you know they come out of uh you know one grade and into the next grade and they're sort of like oh you know i felt really you know, kind of confused about my role on the team and that sort of thing, you know, yeah. last year, but now I feel much more comfortable, you know, it's just, when yeah. you get that and to, not come out of the shell, but just to, to feel like they're part of, you know, something. Something like, bigger, something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, um, yeah, there's no real way to describe it. It's, you know, working with kids in, a, in an environment that they're passionate about, you know, in sport or something. Um, is just you know remarkable and then instilling that same passion in them with something that they may not be as comfortable or enjoy as much in school is is just so rewarding and hmm. and I guess that's why teachers do it because I think it takes a, a special kind of person to be a teacher um, and you know it's tough and it's you know I'm, I'm sick at the moment and paying the price for giving out so many high fives um, in the hallways on my way to recess or lunch and um, but it's it's all worth it at the end of the day yeah so is that what it takes to be a good educator you really have to be it has to be more than a job you have to be passionate about about you know giving a good experience to yeah and and I think you know I had some remarkable teachers in my time at school but you know there was also teachers there that just was so cut and copy and just so run of the mill that it was less enjoyable. Like you had fun in that class because you wouldn't necessarily do a lot. Um, but 
you know, it was just no atmosphere and, and they didn't um, invite you in to, to learn and to be hands-on. And that's where I think education's changed so much. There's so much more opportunity to be hands-on with your learning and um, experience so much more and the way that things are taught now. It's not just all, all right, open your book um, or open the, the test pad or or something. It's, all right, we're going to go and plant some trees and we're going to learn about science and um, that kind of thing this way. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is just so exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I look, look, look at my school experience. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> the best of students. No, most, you uh, weren't, yeah. <laughs> <the> most, <laughs> you know, focused, but... I really think that, um, you know, that's, yes, yeah, partly my fault, of course, um, but, you know, I really think, you know, when I was at school, it was much more a an environment set up to suit a certain type of student. Yeah, absolutely. It's one way. Yeah. So I really think, you know, looking at it, you know, looking, you know, retrospectively now, you know, you, you need diversity and different ways to learn, otherwise kids just will not be engaged. Yeah, uh, that's, that's spot on. It's... You know, you'd only need to spend 10 minutes, um, you know, walking through classes at any school now to realise that there's no one right way to teach kids and there's no um, one way that kids will learn. It's it's so broad and teachers, you know, nowadays will um, have to teach the same thing five different ways before their whole class understands it. And that's, I guess, the trials and tribulations of it it's um trial and error and every day something that may have worked the day before won't work and something that did didn't work yesterday might work today um so just yeah being organized and being um yeah open to that i'm not doing this the one way and and one of my favorite quotes about teaching is um you know a, a good teacher um well no, a teacher will teach the same you know, year level, um, 20 times, um, in their career. So if you teach them for 20 years, but a good teacher will teach that same, you know, lesson in 20 different ways. Yeah. Whereas, you know, someone that's, and I hope I get organized enough to do that as opposed to just, you know, oh, this is what I did last year with this age group, but it's a different set of kids. I'll just go the same way again. It's about understanding who you've got around you and, making allowances and changes for them yeah totally and that that applies to to so many different things you know it applies to your footy coaching you know for me with running coaching you know you might have to spend yeah. an entire hour just working on on one aspect of, of, of running technique or, or something you know and then you'd be the same with you know with your footy coaching you know you have to be dynamic you have to be yeah um, diverse and, and agile to, to adjust yeah. to, to different sort of scenarios if, if someone's not getting something but they're comfortable doing something else it's about Okay, that's that's how we'll do it. Um, let's mm. focus on making this, you know, yeah. different or, or better or yeah, more comfortable. And then you slowly introduce what you need to yeah. to build on that. Yeah. yeah, make small changes rather than one big one. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess with education, what what do you see as being, you know, I mean, you're in the industry right now. What do you see as the the what's the future of um, of education I mean, you know, we've got like technologies like virtual reality and things like that mm. is that going to play a part is there what's the, what's, I, what's yeah, the I think so yeah. um, I think there's so many things that are just being introduced you know you remember doing the, the basic skills test at, at school and mm. um, or NAP plan now and 
and that's all being converted to online, yeah. um, which is, is great because, um, you know, in the past, the students were at a disadvantage if they didn't have strong reading skills because just to read the questions was an effort for them. There's no way they're going to finish. Yeah. And now the kids sit there on the computer with headphones and the computer reads the questions to them. Um, so it's it certainly leveled the playing field. And I think we'll see more of that. We'll see a lot more, um, you know, hands-on things and we'll see a lot more alternative programs for, for students who just aren't coping in the classroom. So yeah. um, I'd love to see, um, I think at, in, at the senior school though, they have, you know, different vet programs where they can get, um, finish their schooling and they're, you know, working in a, a car workshop each day. Yeah. Um, at the school or they're, they're out in the agricultural yard. And I think primary school, to an extent, needs to have something like that mm. um, where, you know, 10 kids are um, looking after a garden um, together for, you know, at the end of a day each day yeah. just because they've been in the classroom and that's not somewhere where they're, you know, either successful or overly comfortable and they can just harness other interests while at school so you know them being at school is the big positive um but yeah we're also seeing kids you know leaving school younger and younger um a lot of shifts in schools and um you know there, there's always debates and issues with funding for certain students which yeah. you know i guess takes its toll on um teachers and, and school leaders and, and that kind of stuff um yeah but it's, it's something that's not going anywhere teaching, um, but technology is a big thing that is going to be, um, yeah, just more and more every day. Yeah. Uh, and kids are so comfortable with it now and, and kids are so talented with it now. You know, we have 3D printers at school and, and that kind of stuff where it's, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, just on that, um, like kids leading and stuff, and I mean, Balance is a huge thing, isn't it? I mean, any, any kid needs, um, you know, just consistency and, and a balance of a lifestyle. Um, so I guess, you know, I always, I'm a big believer that it doesn't matter what school you're at, if a kid wants to learn, they will learn. Mm. Um, so do you think like having like a balance, you know, sort of lifestyle, friendship group, you know, sporting life, all that sort of plays into, into how you learn as well? Yeah, absolutely. Like you've got to be happy at your school and if you're not happy you're not going to enjoy it and if you're not going to enjoy it you're not going to you know take part in a lot of the great things that schools have to offer um I think a massive thing is is just friendships and you know while media and technology have such a great place in schools it's also very very um detrimental to to school life because you know if you you know when we were younger if you had an issue with someone or there was a bully or something it just ended at the end of the day, whereas kids now need to go home and, and everyone has access to them and, and they just get no escape from, um, you know, the rigours of everyday life. Um, you know, some of my fondest memories as a kid was, you know, all the lights on it, on my basketball court at home um, and just with an iPod in and just shooting hoops all night. Um, probably should have been doing homework, but, you know, unless I was going to go inside and, and sit on the home phone and talk to someone for an hour in front of my family... Like, you know, like yeah, I was, yeah. you know, no one's reaching me. Like I didn't have a cell phone until I was maybe 15 and, you know, we didn't have a computer at home till I was probably 13. Um, so very sort of, um, not that the internet would have got out to fitness anyway, but, um, 
Yeah, I was sort of just, yeah, after school I was sort of free. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah, I think it makes you appreciate things a lot more. And that's what you did. It wasn't like you, you hung out with your mates and, you know, you'd have so much energy. You'd be, you, know, you might have spent all day, you know, in the classroom and then you had PE and then you'd be playing basketball and stuff at lunchtime. Yeah. And then after school you'd be hanging out with your mates and shooting hoops or kicking yeah. footy and, and you'd go to, like, sports training or go to a basketball yeah. game or something. And it yeah. just never ended, did it? But, like, no. That's, yeah. So how, how do you combat that, the social media aspect of things? Is it, can it, we're at a point now where it's almost a bit of a, a, a turning point. Like, is it, is it, can we make it a better thing or is it going to be, continue to be detrimental to some people? You know, can we evolve it into something that becomes beneficial, purely beneficial? Yeah, I'd, you know, I'd love to see, like, might copyright this idea in case <laughs> um, Facebook tries to steal it, but, you know, if, you know, a, a kid's account needs to be connected to a parent's account kind of thing like you know so all of a sudden a a parent could put the kid's account on sleep mode if there's a test coming up or if they you know are mucking up at school or if um just so it's a bit more accountable so you know you've got footy training tonight you don't need facebook or you know you've got a test tomorrow or you haven't done your homework i can switch your account off um you know something like that where it's a bit more accountable um, but, you know, on the other hand, um, as a sports coach, I know how valuable social media can be when you are um, having these groups with your team in it that you're posting a lot more information to them and, and individually. Um, yeah, and giving them feedback and, um, and people can, oh, I can't make training kind of thing. Whereas in the old days, it was, oh, so and so is not a training because, I don't know, I just saw him getting in the car after school. Like there's a lot more hearsay, whereas now you sort of don't really have an excuse not to tell someone you can't be there. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what is the the quick fix there. Yeah, it's a real tough one. And it's um, internet bullying and um, and just the anxiety effects it seems to be having yeah. on um, on some of the youth today is is quite alarming. But as you said, there there are controls that can be put in, in mm. place. I think we've just had too much freedom for so long now it's yeah. hard to kind of go backwards but yeah like sort of coming through you know school and, and um, you said you had some great teachers and some pretty intense uh, sporting coaches Who, do you do you look back and think of them as any of, the, any of them as big influences in, in where you are today or yeah um, you certainly like I was pretty lucky to have a lot of good um, junior coaches um, both basketball and football and you sort of channel and and take certain things from each of them and create your own philosophies I was I always enjoyed going to training and I always you know listened really intently and and a lot of those messages and and drills and philosophies have sort of stuck with me and I I definitely incorporate them into my coaching and and my sort of beliefs um, as I go on um in, in teaching as well, you know, you, you remember some of the great lessons and some of the great um, experiences that you had at school and, and that, and you, yeah, you certainly try and bring them to the table and um, pass them on to the next generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I guess it's one of those things like, you know, if you have a negative experience or something, it always sticks with you. Yeah. And, and you just... More than a, a positive yeah. one, so. And yeah, you just know like, okay, I, I definitely won't, yeah, do it like that, or that path you know, like uh, okay, I'm I'm getting 
yelled at for something here and it's really wasn't my fault, um, you know, I'll just bite my tongue because it doesn't look great to, to bite back or, you know, you see kids these days have so much power, um, you know, and they can, you know, I'll just go and tell dad if I'm not getting game time um, as opposed to working harder and asking questions and getting feedback. They'll just tell mum or dad and mum or dad's happy to, to move clubs um, as opposed to, you know, I would have happily sat on the bench for every game if it meant being a part of that a team and, um, you know, wasn't good enough. Like, I'm I'm pretty happy to receive feedback if I'm, I'm not good at something. Um, and, yeah, I think that's one of the major things that have changed these days is, mm. is kids are sort of cotton-wooled around failure um, and you only have to look at... That is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good thing. Like, yeah, you need to fail. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you know, there's, I know there's a lot of debate around, um, you know, they have 10th place ribbons and 20th place ribbons and stuff. And, you know, really when you look back, I think as you're older and medals and trophies and that kind of stuff becomes less and less valuable to you, um, you think, oh, my God, I finished 18th in this, you know, run at school. Like, why do I have this? Yeah. Um, and I and I think we yeah cotton wool kids so much around failure because they just aren't equipped to handle it. Mm. And I think parents are too quick. Um, you know, I'm not a parent, so I can't really comment. But I think they are very quick to protect and hey, what's going on, as opposed to just um, putting it back on the kid. You know, yeah. like oh, have you have you taken on board the feedback? Have you been practicing? Have you been doing your stretches at home? Are you practicing catching? Well, yeah. Yeah, that's... It can be a bit frustrating at times because yeah. as coaches, we're not here to coach parents. We're there to coach the kids. Mm. Um, and quite often the parents that complain are just sit in their car and, and don't really do anything around the club. But, yeah. It's a tough one. So this is what it is. I think uh, it's really important to... From a parental perspective, you want to you push your kid and look after your kid, but you also want to mm. nurture hard work and you... And you at some point, a child needs to be able to make a decision to, to whether they really want to do something and, and not always have to look for that external sort of feedback. And, yeah, yeah. You're going to have to ask the coach. It is a very tough one. I think um, certainly for me, looking back, my parents were always very much nurtured hard work and, and I was lucky that I always was in a in every team environment. It was always very much preached. You have to work hard to, yeah. to get what you want out of this. And, Nothing um, comes easy. No, that's it. That's exactly right. So just to kind of wrap it up, I just want to quickly touch on something we talked about at the start. Mm. The sub 25k. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so I was um, was 14. um, 14. Yeah, and I just, over the summer, I, um, you know, when you're quite tall as a a kid and you have that period where you just shoot up and your legs are twice as long and you're, you're lean and fit and I spent the summer in the gym um, I remember with dad and yeah all of a sudden running just came really easy um, for me like I never loved it um, but yeah I was a last year junior cult um, so last year under 14s and um, yeah at a, a fun run and with um, you know as A graders B graders senior cults junior cults and people from the town and stuff and yeah, I won it and um, under 20 minutes, so I think it was 1950, 1955, I think, um, was the time. And, 
just felt really easy. Like I, I got, I didn't really know the got lost and had to stop and ask a, an old lady <laughs> gardening which way to the oval and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, then... So you've lost, like, 10 or 15 Yeah, yeah but um, I just had these long levers that would just get me from A to B, and, and I found I, as tired as I sort of was, I could just go, um, you know, and that sort of carried on for the next, you know, few years while I was playing sport until I um, hurt my back and, and things started to go pear-shaped, but um, I always enjoyed running. I didn't necessarily love training, um, and I probably didn't look like a runner being, you know, six foot three and, um, you know, like quite big in the legs and, and built like a yeah, built like a footballer. Yeah. Um, and I you remember doing, you know, a lot of the, the cross countries and the, the state cross countries and stuff and being, you know, next to all these, um, you know, little whippets with their watches and, fluorescent shoes and I'd just have you know my whatever shoes I was wearing at the time and footy shorts and skins on and um, a footy singlet or whatever and just sort of feeling a bit out of place like uh, I run at footy training and that kind of stuff but um, I did a record for a while in the state schoolboys um, 1500 metres so um, that's one I do remember yeah. um, for the 1500 so it was yeah really good sort of day running with um I guess Paralympian and world record holder Michael Roga was a part of our team and yeah. um and that so that was a really um yeah big day um little our little school competing at some of those big yeah big schools so um yeah I, I did enjoy running and I, I did find it quite easy um but yeah never trained all that much mm. I guess for it um but was just always active with sport and every night of the week and, and that kind of stuff. So I guess just to finish up, um, one piece of advice you would give your younger self, so maybe, uh, let's say 15 years old, you know, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself going back? And that can be educational or sporting-wise. What, what would be the, the biggest thing? Um, probably just uh, listen to your body, take some breaks, um, yeah, don't put too much pressure on yourself and, and probably like the, the main thing for me would have been just manage injuries well. Like, yeah, playing through it might seem like a good idea and rushing back from this injury or not telling anyone about this niggle. Um, you know, by 19, 20, I sort of couldn't really play sport as, as much anymore. Um, so, yeah, definitely around looking after my flexibility um, and yeah, getting treatment when I needed it. So going, no one used to go to the physio. So like, you know, go to the physio, go to the Cairo, make sure everything was operating smoothly. Um, because yeah, it can change just like that. And yeah, yeah. you're 30 and you're still trying to, you know, touch your toes and that kind of stuff. And it's, it's yeah. no good. Yeah. So look after your body is massive. Awesome. For sure. Well, thanks so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. No worries, Samuel. Keep doing the doing the good work you've been doing. Fighting the good fight. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>